Today's podcast is brought to you by Something Blue by Anita Kay, specializing in wedding and event photography. Visit her page on Facebook. For those in love, capture those memories with Something Blue by Anita Kay. This is Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast with Mark Poulos. So fuck you and fuck your baby and fuck your wife. <laughs> Why fuck them all? So you have headphones. We're recording at a barbecue gas station. We're not pausing this to put a baby in there. So, uh, so you can just stop it right. You're half drunk and high oh, trying to read a map. Right, here we go. We're literally. We are on, <laughs> on the edge of the Grand Canyon. That's my whole job when I'm on the road is protecting my butt. Stoner. And the fat man. He says, man. You really need to turn your life around. Fuck you, Mark. Mark, pull up the fight. <laughs> Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast. I'm Mark Poulos, uh, here with you again. Today on the podcast, um, considering I'm a comedian, and this is technically a comedy podcast, um... I felt like I should get a little inside on comedy. You know, this may not be um, as interesting to just normal people, but uh, I know I do have a lot of comics that listen to my podcast, and uh, I just felt like creeping up on my 15-year anniversary in stand-up comedy, um, I would drop a little knowledge of what I've learned in the business. As far as, um, like, show uh, evolution, you know, because I first got the idea to talk about this because last week I was, uh, I did a couple one-nighters and I think it was like no less than like five people um, told me after the show that I had reached the next level of stand-up comedy. And it's always interesting when people talk about the next level because this stand-up comedy, and I think the thing that I love about it the most, is it's ever-changing, you know. It's never the same. You know, even though you go back to a lot of the same places, every crowd is different. The makeup of the crowd is different. The feel of the room is different every time you get on stage. And for the longest time, I fought against, um, I guess they call it crowd rap. <laughs> I love how I say that. Like, I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's fucking crowd rap. And basically, crowd rap is just talking to the audience and coming up with jokes with the conversation with the audience. And a lot of guys do it really well. But the truth is, and when you pull back the curtain, a lot of these guys, you know, me included, sometimes you do crowd work and you find little nuggets that work really well. And you hold on to those almost as much as you hold on to the material that you've written are these these tiny little spontaneous things that happen somewhere and then you kind of try it other places and you realize that it works everywhere. Um, early on in my career, I worked with a very funny comic from Michigan named Steve Iatt. And uh, 
I don't think before him I had actually truly seen uh, a 100% crowd rapping comedian. And not to say that he didn't have material and all he did was talk to the audience. He, he just did it. It was so well crafted that the first night that I watched him, I was standing in the back of the room just like in amazement. Like, I think I was maybe like three or four years into comedy. So I was still a little kind of naive as to how it all worked. So I really truly believed that this guy went on stage every night without any material and just started talking to the audience and, and things just happened. He was just that good. And the truth of the matter is a lot of people believe um, that some comics do go on stage without any material and just kind of let it fly, you know? And I think that's the secret as to when you get to the next level is that it's so calm and it's so, um, you're just so in the moment, even though you've done this material like thousands and hundreds of thousands of times, you've just gotten to a place where you're so comfortable within the material that you've written that you can take those moments to kind of just open up and let it go, you know, and it seriously, truly took me like 15 years to get to that point. But when I was watching Steve the first night, like I was in awe because I thought he was making it all up off the cuff. And there is a little bit of, you know, sadness when <laughs> you see the next show and it's all kind of the same and you're like, oh, okay, I get it now. Like, he's just gotten to the point where he's so good, he can make it seem like he's coming up with it off the cuff, but it's what we like to call in the business, manufactured spontaneity. So, like, once I worked with him, I worked with a, a bunch of other comics who kind of did the same thing, and basically what they would do is they would take these experiences that I ha that they had all over the country and all the shows that they've done and all the little nuggets that had worked with different audience and stuff and comprised this kind of cheat sheet of crowd wrapping. You know, they would have what I like to call their cast of characters. So for Steve, the way his show would work is he needed to find um, an older lady. He needed to find a really tall guy. Um, he needed to find a black guy. And I can't remember who the fourth person was, but once he found those four people, like, it was amazing to watch. Like, he had all this stuff written, but then he was able to kind of put in his own stuff. But he had this, like, framework that was put out for his crowd wrapping that was just, like, amazing. And it was funny because at the end of the show, like, the end of the week, I was so in awe of what he was doing. Like, I was so inspired watching his show. And we were kind of sitting there together chatting about comedy. And it was just so funny because he turned to me before I had even had a chance to tell him how much I admired what he was doing on stage um, to say that he admired what I was doing on stage. And I was blown away. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I do okay. I'm like, you're getting like half standing ovations, full standing ovations. 
And he's like, yeah, but he goes, nobody's really leaving here with anything from me. You know, he goes, when they go to the office tomorrow and they're all standing around the water cooler or wherever the fuck people stand nowadays, I don't know if there even are water coolers at offices, but when they start talking about their weekends, you know, these people are going to say, well, we went to see this comedian and it was really, really funny. And then when they ask like, well, what was some of his jokes? Like all they have to go with is, well, he made fun of this old lady and this tall guy. And it, you know, it was just really funny. You have to go see it for yourself. And he was admiring me because I had come up with tons of like weird material like little catchphrases and stuff that that people could kind of take with them out of the show and and I don't know why I wrote that way and still write to this day but I just um I write like an ad man for for TV and and for movies um because that's just the way that I was brought up you know just like repetition of commercials and jingles and and video game music and all this kind of stuff. It's just like stuck in my head for, you know, 40 years. So when I write stuff, that's why I come up with, you know, like catchy things like creep squad and flapjacks and tits and, and, uh, smilf and all this kind of stuff. Cause it's all about the catchphrase for me. And, and some people might find that hokey, but I feel like I'm able to write, um, you know, clever, original things, but also have those catchphrases in there. Because he was saying, like, you know, people can walk away from here with Creep Squad and and Flapjacks and Tits and stuff like that, and, and they just, they have this little thing that they can connect people to you. And I never thought of it at that point, and it was funny because I think, like, maybe a few minutes after that, one of the waitresses came up to me and she goes, hey, I just wanted to let you know that I used your line at the bar last night. <laughs> and right when she said it, Steve just looked right at me and he was shaking his head. He's like, this is what I'm talking about. So I used to do this joke about um, meeting this girl who said she had a weird vagina. And uh, and so I I don't go through with sleeping with her that night, but I kind of obsess about how weird it was. And I'm like, is it different color weird? Or I stick my dick in, I'm not getting it back. Like, what are we talking about here? And then I kind of let it sit for a second. And then I'm like, was it an Audi? You know? And I'm like, touche. That is a weird vagina, sir. And people never get that joke. But it's like, what else would an Audi vagina be other than a penis? But some people don't get it. Um, so she had said she got hit on the bar last night and she said, leave me alone. I have an Audi and Steve laughed and I laughed. I was like, that's kind of funny <laughs> that you would actually use that in a bar someplace and people. And it's funny, like when I used to do that bit, like people, it was always the joke that people would ask me about after the show. Like, did you ever like, is that based on a true story? And you know, it was based on a true story. I was about two years into comedy and I met a girl who's actually told me that, that she had a weird vagina and I laughed about it and she laughed about it. And, and in the end it really wasn't that weird, but it was just kind of funny the way that she brought it up to me. And it, it was the basis for a joke, you know, but it's like, I, I've tried so hard to sit down and just write material based on nothing. And it just doesn't work for me. Like I have to have, 
even a small experience so I could actually write a joke. But I just want to take a quick moment to uh, spotlight a couple sponsors on the podcast, um, leestees.com. They've been doing my funny t-shirts forever, and they're a great company and uh, just high-quality everything. So if you need a funny t-shirt done, don't go to the big guys. Go to Lee's Tees. That's L-E-E-S-T-E-E-Z.com for all your t-shirt needs. The other company is KB Remodeling, Inc. The the owner, Kevin Brown, he's a great guy. Um, He's a whiz at everything. And uh, if you need... Any kind of a project done at your house, whether it's a small project or a big project, um, he's the guy to call. So if you live in Minneapolis or St. Paul area, give Kevin Brown, hit him up on his website, which is kbremodelinginc.com, and uh, check him out. So I just want to thank those guys for being sponsors on the show. So back to uh, getting to the next level in stand-up comedy, it's just, it's such a process and there's certain comics that are just, for whatever reason, they're never going to get to that, to that next level. And it truly is like what turns good comedians into great comedians. Because until you get to that point where you cross over into the next level, which I would consider the next level being going from just telling a hodgepodge of jokes to have an, having an experience on stage every night. You know, putting things together in such a way that people feel like they're living in the moment of your show, you know. And it's hard to explain. It is kind of funny because I had been doing comedy for about six years and I was up in Canada. And I'd done a ton of work up there and, and uh, I wasn't technically feeling all that good about what was going on up there like I was kind of deep into my gambling stuff and I lost a lot of the money that I made up there and um the last week of the whole tour I had to fly to Vancouver to do like three days worth of of shows and and I just wasn't feeling good about having to fly there and back and then I had to drive home so I was just kind of bummed when I got to Vancouver and I, you know, was so in my head about my gambling and stuff, I don't think I ever really enjoyed uh, what Vancouver has to offer as far as like sightseeing and, and uh, just the amazing culture out there and everything. So I was doing my gigs at the, at the Yuck Yucks in Vancouver. And one of the nights I met a comic after the show, his name was Kevin Fox. Very funny guy. Um, but at the time that I met him, he was like drunker and shit. And when I first met him, I was like, oh, God, here's another one of these like annoying drunk guys that just wants to tell me how to be a better comedian, you know. And we were hanging out upstairs with a couple other comics. And uh, he turned to me and he said, do you mind stepping outside with me? I'd, I'd like to chat with you. And I was like, oh, all right. So we went outside and he started talking to me about how he thought I was really funny and I had a really a lot of good stuff. Um, and then he said, uh, I'm going to tell you the secret to stand-up comedy right now. And he goes, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it right now. He goes, but when you get it, he goes, you're going to go from being a good comedian to being a great comedian. And so I was like, 
oh, like just some drunk guy telling me something like there's no way this is going to be actual good advice, you know? So he looked me in the eyes and he said, uh, show it, don't tell it. And then he put his hands in the air like he had just dropped the bomb of all bombs on me. And I was just like, what? And he goes, see, I told you, you're not going to get it. But he goes, hold on to that. Because when you get it, you're going to get it. And I left there. I was like, what a nut job. I was like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I think it was about maybe three or four years later. um, I was on stage... I can't remember where it was. It was probably at the skyline in Appleton. For whatever reason, it just clicked together. Like, I got it. And I think, like, the Cliff Notes version of what he was trying to say and what I tell younger comics if they want my advice on uh, writing and performing and stuff, the show it, don't tell it philosophy is... I think there was a lot of comedians in the 80s and some that are still now where when you watch them on stage, it looks like they're telling jokes, which is their job to tell jokes. But it just looks like they're telling jokes. Like, here's a joke, here's a joke, here's a joke, here's a joke. But then you watch these other special people on stage where they've somehow been able to blur the line between telling jokes and having an experience on stage, you know, people where it doesn't necessarily matter even what they're saying because their personality just bleeds through on stage to the point where they don't even need to talk about themselves and you know exactly who this person is, you know, um, Certain people that come to mind, obviously Louis C.K., Kevin Hart, um, Brian Regan, um, like Mitch Hedberg. These guys where you almost get to a point where it doesn't necessarily matter what you're even saying, you know. That's why people, like, get all held up. They're like, oh, my God, every year Louis C.K. writes an hour of material, films a special, throws it away, and starts from scratch. Well, yeah, because he's gotten to the point now where it's not necessarily even matter what the material is. He's just that good that he could literally talk about anything on stage and be as funny as he was the year before. And that's what everybody wants to get to is... uh, is that point, it always reminds me, uh, I was doing a contest in Dubuque called the Comedy 10K, and they had a meeting where you got to meet the judges who were all, like, big-name bookers from around the country, and uh, Chuck Johnson had some amazing advice. But it always comes back to uh, when Tony Camacho, he books, or used to book, a bunch of clubs in Vegas, and now mostly he's doing uh, booking cruises. But it always comes back to him where he said at that conference, he goes, uh, you get to a point in this business where you can watch a, uh, a person walk out on stage 
And before they even take the microphone out of the stand, he's like, I can basically say, this is a, this is a comic or a comedian where it's like that subtle difference between somebody telling jokes and somebody having, having an experience. And people are just like, you know, how do you get to that point? You know, it's hard, man. I've seen guys that have been in this business for like 14 years, 20 years, and you still watch them and you're like, they just don't get it. They don't understand it. And for me, I think the thing that helped me the most kind of push through that was, uh, and I can still remember the joke that kind of changed things where it kind of um, made me understand the show me, don't tell me thing was I was doing this joke where I would cross the border into Canada and they always ask you when you cross the border into Canada, are you transporting any fruits or vegetables? And the joke is pretty hack. It was pretty stupid. But I said, uh, I said, is weed a vegetable? And the initial joke when I wrote it is, was, um, so I was crossing the border and the border guy was, asking me, am I transporting any fruits and vegetables? And then I said, is weed a vegetable? And I was like, um, and then they arrested me or something like that. So the subtle difference on that was kind of living inside the joke on stage every night and kind of putting myself back in that position. So the, the change to it would be, I was going into Canada he said, are you transporting any fruits or vegetables? And I said, is weed a vegetable? And then everybody gets a laugh. And I was like, man, that guy's hand was really cold. So it's like that subtle difference where now I'm, I'm back there and he's giving me a rectal exam. Instead of saying like, so then he checked my ass for weed. You know, it's like, and I, I do little things every night on stage where like I'll do voices, I'll act out the actual exchanges that happened in the stories, you know, instead of, I think it's like a sense of instead of reporting on what happened, it's almost kind of like uh, a reenactment. Like if you're watching a show or something and somebody's talking about what happened at the crime scene or whatever, usually they'll flash and they'll have actors doing a reenactment of the crime scene. And it's always a great tool because people are like, you know, they're listening to the person talk about what happened and you're trying to visual it yourself. And it's hard. And then when they do the reenactment, you're like, you know, you're, you're pulled in further because you're like actually seeing what happened that night, you know. And I think that's the whole key to show me, don't tell me is, is doing the reenactments on stage, you know, and there's some people that they don't want to do that. You know, they feel like it's too silly. They just want to do the material that they've written. They don't want to have to add funny faces and funny voices and all that kind of stuff. And I fought it myself for a while, you know, where I would just stand at the microphone and just say the words, you know, instead of adding, 
the extra stuff and it's amazing how much the jokes can go from zero to 60 if you add the faces and the voices and all that kind of stuff and some people might call it hokey but you know and it was funny to me because when I started making that change um, I never thought of myself as a high energy comedian I'd look at guys like Greg Hahn and Claude Stewart as like high energy guys where it was just like a lot of noises and hand movements and high kicks and all that kind of stuff. Cause I was trying to get a rebooking, uh, at a club and they put me with a, a headliner who was kind of more low key. And <clears throat> the club owner was like, I think we have to move you because, um, you might be a little too high energy for this guy. And in my head, I'm like, I don't think I'm high energy. Like, I'm just, like, telling jokes, you know? But, you know, I guess some people believe high energy to be very funny, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) So I ended up having to be put on a different week where somebody was doing high kicks and round kicks on stage. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what the secret is, you know, because I've been a little, um, I wouldn't say depressed, but uh, just a little sad by the latest season of Last Comic Standing because there were so many of my really good friends on there and they're so funny and they just got tossed to the side some of them didn't even get that much stage time on the show and then I just take a look at these top 10 and I'm just like it just it makes me sad for the business of stand-up comedy because if those are the top 10 funniest comedians in the country there's a problem going on you know but you know, somebody else was trying to explain it to me. You know, it's just, it's a weird show because I don't think there's any other contest in the world where you do what you do best and and when you win, the prize is a job, a completely different job. You know, like, because in Last Comic Standing, if you win it, you get a sitcom. So now you're an actor. You go from being a stand-up comic to an actor. And not all stand-up comics are actors, you know. Not all actors are stand-up comics, you know. It's a weird thing. It would be like being on uh, American Idol, and when you win it, you get a sitcom. It's like, but I'm a singer. I'm not an actor, you know. So it is a strange show, and I understand that the producers of the show probably have a tough time because... I guess they're not necessarily looking for the funniest comedian in the country. They're looking for a comedian that's a character that they can somehow build a sitcom around. And I get that. I get it now, you know, and a lot of people have to explain it to me. And I wish, I wish there was a show on television where the number one thing on it was the funniest comic in the world, you know, but it's just not the way that that things go down but i think it's hilarious that uh 
so the host host this year is uh Anthony Jeselnik. And uh and the whole time that the show is going on, he's uh <laughs> he's he's tweeting like stuff he's basically shitting on the show while it's on TV. And uh and I actually didn't I didn't look at uh I didn't look at his his live tweets from last night. I'm trying to load them but uh it's not necessarily working. Let's see how this goes. God sucks. Um so last week when the when the show was on he tweeted something like uh this is the biggest disgrace like this show doesn't make any sense i feel like they might have deleted some of his tweets because uh they're not coming up let me see here sorry for the so Okay, so let's see what his tweets are here. I mean, the last tweet is hilarious. Okay, here we go. So this <clears throat> this was the tweet last week that people were talking about. He said, I don't care. I cannot tolerate deliberately choosing mediocrity when greatness was on the table. Last comic standing. And then... Uh, and then it looks like <laughs> so then he then he tweets like a obviously shitty tweet it says uh anyways thanks for watching last comic tune in next week for part 2 of the semifinals things are really starting to heat up <laughs> so then it looks like uh so then he his first tweet live tweet of the episode that aired last night or whenever this last week, whenever I post this, uh, this podcast, it says, uh, watch last comic standing tonight at 10 on NBC, or you can save time by asking me who wins. I will tell you. (laughs) So then, uh, so then somebody tweeted him and he had a response to it. So let's see here. Oh, so a, a guy named, uh, Brian Reilly asked him, what percentage of your jokes made the air this season? And then uh, Jezelnek said a hearty 5%. And then, uh, and then somebody tweeted to him, I'm watching Last Comic with Anthony Jezelnek, and he just yelled, fuck you at the screen. <laughs> and then he said, get out of my apartment. <laughs> That's funny. And then let's see. Somebody else tweeted to him. It says, uh, I am allowed to say that actually I argued with Norm. Oh, this was... Uh, so Amy Miller, if if you've been watching the show at all, she was uh, a heavy set redhead comedian that was on there that for some reason Norm had a huge problem with some of her material. And she actually had an opportunity to become part of the top 10 last night. And uh, Norm's vote basically, like, uh, cut her off the show. So then she tweeted, um, 
I am allowed to say that actually I argued with Norm for quite a long time, but it was cut. Or will I be sued by NBC? So it's obvious they had a huge beef with each other. And then uh, his final tweet of the live episode last night was, God damn it, at last comic standing. Took my favorite lines of the whole series this week. You owe me an Emmy. So it's obvious he's not really happy with being part of the show and has no interest in even being back next season. And, and I don't know. You know, I told the lion, like, it's kind of a dicky move to be fucking with the show while you're on it, but it's obvious that he has a problem with it. I have a problem with it, too, because, you know, like I said, you know, it's misrepresentation, you know. But whatever. There was a bunch of my really good friends on there, and I'm just sad that they didn't make it into the top ten. And looking at the list of top tens, I'm like, if Ian Bag doesn't win this whole thing, I'm just going to be like, whatever. Because he's not only a very funny comedian, he's also an actor, and he's a character. So it's like, how do you not just give him the whole thing? But what are you going to do, you know? I'm not going to lie. Like, I did have a last comic standing audition this year, and it didn't go well. I got a little... uh inside my head and I didn't give the best performance and I don't think I did my best material I was just like so held up on this whole idea of doing a four-minute set that really displayed who I was and like what my story was and and what they could use to to make a sitcom and it's just kind of stupid I just I should have just been funny and not worry about what the material was or what it would translate into and that kind of bullshit. And I got too into my head about the whole thing. And and I'm not going to lie, if I was last comic standing and I looked at that audition, I wouldn't have picked me either because I don't think I did that good of a job. So, I mean, I do hope it comes back next season so I can try again for it and maybe get on there because it's just, you know, it's all about the exposure. I might be pissed off at the show and think it's shitty, but as my good friend Stu McAllister said, you know, any show on television that can turn a spotlight onto stand-up comedy that's going to get more people to come out to the comedy clubs and support the road comics, that's the whole point of the whole thing. And and I hope it does that. So, um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of a little behind the scenes of kind of the technicalities of writing and stand-up comedy. Maybe some people weren't as interested as others, but I hope it uh, I hope it brightened your day. And uh, as always, you can get this uh, podcast at Podbean and iTunes and uh, Stitcher and all the places the podcasts are at. And uh, check out largedrunkman.com. I just uh, updated my fall dates. And uh, if you're in one of those cities and you listen to the podcast, come out to the shows and let me know you like the podcast and what I'm doing and and uh, yeah, so I appreciate you listening and tune in next time when we talk about who knows. <laughs>